It's nice to see you today. We're in our second week of our series on God's will for my life. It's amazing to see some of the ways that people try to be guided in a direction. You know, maybe going to a palm reader, maybe reading fortune cookies and thinking, oh, maybe God's really saying something to me here. But there's a lot of things that people use to try to direct their life, to try to find out what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? How do I know if I'm going in the right direction? The problem is if you're being guided by the wrong source, there's almost a guarantee you're going to be guided in the wrong direction. So we want to be guided by the right source, something that's reliable, something that can be trusted. I'm going to spend today talking about five unreliable sources, and then I'm going to focus on the reliable source. We know the reliable source is God's Word, but there are some unreliable sources that we, even as Christians, can find ourselves following. One is culture, and you know what? You can fill out that, that blank. A lot of us, even as followers of God, people that go to church, we can find ourselves being guided by what the culture is doing. With the idea, if everybody's doing it, it must be okay. If it's government approved, it must be okay. And we allow the things around us, the crowd around us, to determine the direction of our life. To determine what is God's will for my life. But there's so many things in the culture that are going contrary to the direction of God. Every year, the U.S. News and World Report, they put out an article about what's in style and what's out of style. So you can make sure that you're in style. You know, there's a lot of things out there that does it matter if you're in style according to the U.S. News and World Report? Is that going to be the standard that we use to know if I'm going in the right direction? We can accept all kinds of standards out there from the culture that have nothing to do with God's Word. It, it can be completely in the other direction. Look at Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's saying this world might be leading you in a certain direction. And saying don't give in. Don't conform to what everybody else is doing. Be renew, have the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It's referring to Scripture. Allowing God's word to guide your mind in the direction that you're to go. In Exodus 23, it says, don't follow the crowd and wrongdoing. Because the majority is often wrong. The majority can be doing something and be totally on a different page from God's word. So, you can't let culture be the guiding system for your life. Because culture is wrong a lot of times. Also, circumstances. Circumstances are an unreliable source of guidance. We can allow the circumstances that we're in to allow us to believe that we're going the right direction because the circumstances line up. If you're pursuing something from God and you read it in Scripture and circumstances are lining up, it's very likely that that could be God. But when circumstances line up, but what you're pursuing is not godly, if God's word says one thing, but, but all the circumstances are showing to go this direction, <laughs> follow God's word. Circumstances 
can be wrong. The circumstances were such that we had a late start this morning. Maybe we shouldn't go to church. I would think that the circumstances are wrong. Just because you got a late start doesn't mean don't go to church. It means show up late. The circumstances are that the traffic's bad. Maybe we're not supposed to go to where we're going. Well, if where you're going is something good and healthy, and I, I doubt very seriously if the circumstances are correct. We can't let the circumstances determine our life. We're going to do the right thing even when the circumstances try to block us. Because a lot of times to do the right thing, things are going to come against you. When you make a decision to go for God on something, I'm telling you, every obstacle starts going against you. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to go for God. So you can't rely on the circumstances. It's got to be God's word. If God's word says it, pursue it in spite of the circumstances. Because that's my source. It's not the circumstances. I think of Jonah, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Jaffa, the town where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, God says, go to Nineveh, east. He goes as far west as he can go. He's going the complete opposite. That was as far west as they knew how to get at that time. He's going the complete opposite direction. But as you read that passage, all the circumstances were in his favor to go that other way. Because back then, ships weren't going daily. A ship going in a certain direction might go five months, spend the winter there, five months, come back, things like that. We see things in our mindset. But these were amazing circumstances because it just so happened to be at the exact right time that the ship was there. He had enough money, and they actually had space. Because another thing is when ships are traveling only once every six months, they get filled up fast because they, they get there, they're in port, they spend all this time getting it filled up, getting it filled up, getting it filled up with people, with things, whatever, before it goes. So it's months and months. He had to be at the right time at the right place, with the right amount of money, just everything going, the circumstances were perfect for him to go the complete opposite of what God said. So obviously, circumstances don't mean it's God's will because he went the complete opposite of what God told him to go. You can't trust the circumstances. A thousand years later, Paul is getting on a boat ready to be transported to Rome and he talks to the captain, and he says, don't leave yet. There's going to be a great storm. It's going to destroy the ship. It's going to, you know, it's, it's going to be horrible. Don't go. But the captain looked at the circumstances. And by the circumstances, everything looked fine. It said there was a gentle breeze going the direction they wanted to go. And by all the circumstances that he could see with his eye and feel, he decided to trust the circumstances over Paul you know what happened? <laughs> they get out there, and they have this great wreck, and uh, the ship is destroyed, and they're, you know, trying to get to land, and I mean, it, it was a horrible, horrible thing. But all the circumstances showed it to be right, so if circumstances are God's will, 
then why didn't, why didn't it work out? Because you can't put your trust in circumstances. How about King David? The circumstances for right, were right for him to do what he wanted, something evil. You know, he sees this beautiful woman. He's on his porch. He sees this beautiful woman, woman bathing down there. And the circumstances were perfect for him because her husband was out of town, away. The circumstances were perfect for his fleshly desires. They were 100% against what God wanted. That's why if the circumstances are going one way, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. What matters is God's word. Satan can use those circumstances to ruin your life. So we, circumstances can't be the guide to our life. Counsel. We can't let counsel from others be the guide of our life because some counsel out there isn't godly. You know, you, the things that you read in books that you see in magazines, what people say in television, just worldly counselors out there, professionals that you pay money to go see. A lot of them, what they're influencing you to do is the opposite of God's word. So you can't just go by the counsel of others. Speaking of the counsel of others, there was an article that said, why everybody needs an affair. That article was written by somebody trying to give us counsel. Okay, can you trust the counsel of others? No, some of the counsel of others is going to be the complete opposite of what God says. It's going to be a, a destruction to your life. In Psalms 1-1, it says, blessed, or it means happy. Blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You want to get counsel from the right source. There are people out there that are godly men and women that are using God's word as their source of counsel. They'll counsel you based on what God's word says. Well, the Bible says this, so they'll counsel you in that direction. That, that's wise counsel. That's wise counsel. But so much of the counseling out there, it's contrary to God. Some of these people, their own lives are such a mess. Why would you follow their counsel? Apparently, it's not wise because they're not able to implement it in their own life. They don't have the spiritual resources and insight because if they don't have God in their, work, in their life, they're not going to guide you in the right direction. So a clear example of bad counsel is Job. His friends were giving him counsel, but God said everything they said was bad. It was wrong. His wife was giving him counsel. She was worse than the, his friends, the counsel they were giving. So you want the counsel to ma match up with God's word. You want to get wise counsel from people that are revealing things in Scripture that maybe you didn't know. You really want to read the Bible yourself and know how it guides you. Another thing is counterfeits. And by counterfeits, I specifically mean there's a lot of counterfeit religion out there, like cults. Do you know why cults attract people in? Because every cult has some sort of truth. Every cult has some sort of truth. There's some, you're not going to find a cult out there that's 100% everything they say is bad. Because if it was, nobody would follow them. They, they can do this approach. 
they put a lot of focus on how to have a happy family, a good marriage, and stuff like that. Fantastic, because where do they get that? From God's Word. But then everything else they teach is wacky, weird stuff. Like, and when you get married in our temple, you become gods on another planet. And you're saying, what? That didn't come from the Bible. But how do they attract you in? Because they teach you how to have a happy family, how to have a happy marriage. From God's Word. But then they believe other sources... And then once you get there and, you're, and you feel like, wow, this has been so good for my family, that, now they start teaching you this other stuff when you get deeper in their faith and you're thinking, How? you know, where do, these, where do these people come from? The reason they attract people in is they have a truth or some truth, but it doesn't mean everything about them is true. So there's counterfeits out there, Scientology. There's a lot of stuff out there that's weird that's not biblical at all. If you read the Bible and they're teaching something completely different. Here's what uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 14 says. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come as looking evil. Because if you saw the, the counterfeits and they looked evil, you would know to run. Right? Satan doesn't come like that. He's like, he masquerades himself as a light, so it looks good. It looks good. It looks attractive. You know, the people they're talking to you are clean-cut, good-looking people. Because, you know, Satan's not going to come in a way that it's obvious that it's bad because, you know, obviously it wouldn't work. First uh, John 4, 1 says, don't just accept everything you hear. Test the spirits. See if it's really real. How can you know if something's counterfeit or not? The great thing about the Bible, it's, it's very easy. First of all, is it biblical? Are they following God, the Bible? If they're following a different source, then there's going to be a different teaching, guaranteed. If they're following the Bible, it's good. Second thing is, who do they, how do you know that they're really following the Bible? Well, who do they say God is? Who do they say Jesus is? Because the Bible is very clear about Jesus being God. All the false religions and cults, that's what they want to attack. It's all about Jesus is a good man. He's a prophet. He's uh, a good teacher. But the, num- the, the one thing that all the cults and false religions want to teach you is that Jesus is not God. Well, if they're following the Bible, they'd have to say Jesus is God. So they might say, hey, we follow the Bible. The next question is, well, who's Jesus? Oh, he's good. You know, uh, one group says he's the archangel, My- Michael the archangel. That's nowhere in the Bible. They just made it up. You know, so, you know, who is Jesus? And then you find, okay, okay, they understand that Jesus is God. They, they, they understand the Trinity. And then salvation. How can I be saved? And if they say, you know, uh, pray five times a day facing Mecca, or whatever they say, whatever the group says, if they give a lot of list of things that you have to do, that you have to do to reach God, appease Him, if you're good enough, you get in, then you know it's false. Because the whole gospel message is, we're not good enough to reach him. Jesus then, God come to earth as a man. Jesus died on the cross to pay off the penalty of our sins. I wasn't ever good enough to reach him, so he reached me. With those three things, you can tell immediately if it's counterfeit. Do they believe the Bible? Okay, if you really believe the Bible, who's Jesus? If they believe that Jesus is God, well, how do I get saved? Jesus, God reached you because you weren't good enough to reach him. God comes and dies on the cross for you. You know, uh, 
I'm never going to be good enough to reach God. Thank God he's good enough to reach me. But those three simple things you can know immediately. Okay, that's counterfeit. Okay, that's good. Now, when something's not counterfeit, there's churches out there that are not counterfeit that might not believe 100% the way that you believe. But they're the real thing. They're the real thing. Okay? Just because they don't believe 100% the, the same way that you believe doesn't mean they're not the real thing. But the real thing follows the Bible. They, knew, they have to know who Jesus is. That's what Christianity is. They don't know who Jesus is. They're on a different planet when it comes to spiritual things. And they have to know the gospel message. And those things are so clear in Scripture that you have to do a lot of twisting, a lot of turning not to see it. And that's what they do. So there's counterfeits out there that people turn to. Don't turn to a counterfeit. The other thing that people turn to to guide them is their own conscience. And that's an unreliable source of guidance. We might think, you know, uh, I've got to follow, follow my heart. I think following your heart can lead you down the wrong road many times. There's been times that I've followed my heart in the right direction. There's been time I've, times I've followed my heart in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter what my heart is, what my feelings are about it. What matters is what does God say about it. Have you heard this one? Well, I'm at peace with it, so I'm going to go for it. It doesn't matter if I'm at peace with it. What if I'm at peace with something that's wrong? Do you remember Jonah? God told him to go this way. He went the other way. And you know what? He was at peace with it. I'll tell you, you know, sometimes you're doing the wrong thing and you know it's wrong and you're stressed out and you can't sleep at night because you know you're, your life's heading the wrong direction. His life was heading the, uh, the wrong direction. And it says a big storm rose up. And everybody was frantic. But Jonah was down below sleeping. How can you sleep in the middle of a storm? You have to be at peace. You can't sleep in the middle of a storm, hardly anyway. But to sleep in the middle of a storm, you've got to have a lot of peace. He was 100% at peace with the direction he chose to go. And it was 100% in the wrong way. So you can't go by whether you have peace with it or not. You have to go by, does this, is this what God wants? Well, how about this? I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm not at peace with it. It doesn't matter if I'm not at peace with it either. If God says to do it, I have to do it. So we can't go by how I feel about it because my feelings can be so wrong. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I've got to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I can't lean on my understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Why? Because sometimes my understanding is wrong. How about this one? But it felt so right. <laughs> you know, it felt so right. Have you ever done something that felt so right, but then later on you read the Bible and you find out it was so wrong? I have. Like, th this feels right, but then you read the Bible later on and you say, because you're learning, you're growing in your spiritual walk. And later down, down the road, you, you read the Bible and you think, oh, I guess that wasn't right. It felt right. What does that tell you? That you can't trust your feelings. Because there's going to be some things that feel right that just aren't right. You know, I bet you, I bet you, because I'm trying, I want to pick up something that we would all know like is outrageous. I bet you a lot of the racists that you know, major racists in this country throughout history thought it felt right. 
They thought it was the right thing, and they felt it was the right thing. You can't go by what your understanding is. You can't go by what your feelings are. Because if you read the Bible, it's obviously wrong, right? So it doesn't matter your understanding. It doesn't matter your feelings. What matters is, what does God say? That's the only way to really be guided by God. If I want to know God's will, I've got to go by Him. I can't go by culture. I can't go by how I feel about it. I can't go by any of these things. I've got to go by God's Word. So what can I depend on? In your, it's obvious God's Word. That's what you can depend on. You can fill that in. In Psalms 119, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's God's Word that guides our life. It shines light where there's darkness. But what does that mean for discovering God's will for your life? Sometimes when you're saying, God, I, I want to know what you want me to do with my life. I want to discover your will. It's like looking into darkness. Have you ever felt like that? Like it's in darkness. Well, it's saying God's word is like that light for your path. So, God, what do you want me to do? I feel like I'm looking into darkness. We'll get God's word out. Now, here's a great thing about the Bible. It already tells you a lot of things that are God's will. It already tells you. There's seven times in the Bible where it tells you what God's will is. Before we go there, let's look at this reliable source, God's word. First of all, in your notes, God's will, because we want to know what's God's will for my life. God's will is found in God's word. Most of God's will is already revealed. The majority of things for knowing God's will is already in Scripture. It's already there. There's very few things that aren't. When you understand that, you don't, it's not a walk in the dark. It's already written in Scripture. When you read Scripture, it's not even mystical and hard to find. It's, so much of it is straightforward, as we're going to read later on. David Allen from the Southwestern Theological Seminary said, when you open your Bibles, God opens his mouth. <laughs> I want to hear from God. Open your Bible. Because when you're reading the Bible, he's speaking to you. The Detroit Bible College, here's a motto. Discover God's will by studying God's word. I want to know God's will. Study the word. Study the word. Because 90% of the things God's going to tell you is already in there. You just have to hear, read what it says, and then you know, okay, this is what God wants me to do. This is God's will. How does he direct us? Through principles. You're going to see all kinds of principles in the Bible that direct you. Through promises that he makes. Through examples that you see. Through straight out commands. Just straight out saying, go, or whatever. Go make disciples of all nations. It's just straight out. It just tells you, go. But there's so much in there that you already know God's will. Number two, God's will never contradicts God's word. You're never going to have God speak to you and say something the opposite of the Bible. But I had this impression. It doesn't matter what that impression is if it's opposite of the Bible. But that isn't, that's how cults get started. It's impressions that they get that contradict the Bible, so they start their own thing. Because I have an impression that it should be this way. The Bible says that, so I'll start my own way. It's a rejection of God's word. Look at Revelation twenty-two eighteen. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words from this book, God will take away from him his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, when it says this book, 
I realize the book of Revelation was a separate book. You know, there were all separate books. And it's talking about the book of Revelation. But it still gives us a principle about God's word. What is that saying about God's word? You don't change it. The principle is still there. You don't change God's word. You don't, like, say, well, God's word says this one way, but I don't like it, so I'm going to start my new faith and go this direction. No, you, you don't change God's word. That's the principle. The third thing is God expects me to obey God's word. That's how you're going to know God's will is by obeying God's word. Before God shows me his, like, specific will for things, like, God, should I go here or there? Should I take this job or that job? I think God's expecting me first to obey the things he's already told me. He says, like, Jimmy, in the Bible, I've already told you to do this, 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 and this, and you're not doing it. What makes you think I can trust you to do anything I say? You don't listen to me. You don't listen to me. Because the same person that hears the Bible and doesn't do it is the same person that's going to say, God, what direction you want me to go? And as he reveals it, they're going to say, well, God says, I feel this, that God through Scripture, through talking to me, wants me to go this way. Ah, but I don't, I, I don't know. This makes more sense to me. And you're still going to do your own thing. Because the truth of the matter is, if you won't follow him when he fat out says, do this, you're not going to follow him when he hints at you in a direction. Because it's really not about following him. It's about you want to hear all the things and you want to make the choice. So, it starts, if I want God's will, I need to obey the things he's already told me to do. The key to understanding God's purpose and plan for the future is to do the things that he already has told me to do now. I say like this, we have the revealed will of God. It's already revealed. Start by doing that, and then he can show you his concealed will for your life. Because there's some things that are concealed that you don't know yet. They're not clear yet. So do the things that are clear that you're supposed to do, and then he'll show you the things that aren't clear. And there's so many things that are clear. Mark Twain said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the things that I do understand. <laughs> you know, the thing is, sometimes we know God wants me to do this, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to go in that direction. You know, there's enough things that God's already told me that I need to deal with. Am I going to obey him or not? It's not the things I don't know. It starts with the things I do know. God says, start with, what, you know, start with what I've already revealed to you. So, seven times in Scripture, it flat out tells you God's will. You don't even have to guess. These are things that it actually says, this is God's will. If you start with those seven things that, you, that without a doubt is just 100% clear in Scripture, then you're on the right path. You're on the right path for the other things to come. So let's look. What does God already say without a doubt? It actually uses the words, the will of God, those type of things. So let's look at those. Because there are a lot of things where it's God's will that doesn't have to use those words. But these are seven things that actually use those words. Number one, God's will is that I have eternal life. So I say, okay, I've got to make this decision. God, I'm going to do the revealed will, will of God, whatever you've already shown me. So what does this mean? Here's what he says. My Father's will, okay, that's God's will, right? What's God's will for my life? My Father's will is that everyone, that includes me, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Wow, that's God's will for my life. It starts there. That's God's will for my life. God's will for my life is that He wants me to be good. 
Wait, wait, wait. Is that what he says? No. God's will for my life is he wants me to have faith in him. Put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So it starts there. If I want to do God's will for my life, the first thing I have to do is put my faith in Jesus. Okay. My faith is that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, paid off the penalty of my sins. My faith's in him. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did to reach me. I've now got security of eternity. I have security of salvation. Because I know I would never be good enough to reach God, but I know without a doubt he reached me. Start there. That's God's will for my life. But that's not God's only will for my life. It's not like he wants me to put my faith in him and then it stops. The next one is God's will is that I be filled with his spirit. Look at Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Understand what the Lord's will, that's God's will, is. What is God's will? What is God's will? The Lord's will. Do not get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What's that talking about? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, what does it mean to get drunk with wine? What he's saying is when you're drunk with wine, you're allowing the alcohol to influence and control your life. That's what it does. When you're drunk with wine, you allow alcohol to influence and control your life. What he's saying is, I want my spirit to influence and control your life. I want be, don't be filled with uh, wine. Don't be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let alcohol or drugs or anything be the influence and controller of your life. He's saying, let my Spirit be the influence. In other words, let God be the influence and controller of your life. So what's God's will for my life? First is to put faith in Him. Okay, I'm going to heaven because of what He's done for me. That's God's will. Second thing is to allow Him to influence and control me. Okay, God, I'm not going to let anything else be the influence or controller of my life. It's you. When I make my decisions, it's going to be based on the influence I've got from you and your word. I'm going to allow you to control me. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? So now I know God's will for my life. That's a start. It doesn't mean I know everything he wants me to do. It doesn't mean I've read the Bible enough to know. But my faith's in him, and I want him to control my life. I want him to be the influence. I'm pursuing him I'm trusting him to guide my life because it's God's will. There's a third time it mentions God's will in my life. God's will is that I live a pure discipline lifestyle. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality and learn to control your own body in a way that's holy. Why, when he says it's God's will to be holy, why do you think he talked about sex? Because a lot of us don't know this. A lot of us think that all the sleeping around is more of a modern thing. No. Sex has always been, throughout history, the area where people rebel from God the most. Always throughout history. It's always been sex. Because it's it's a natural urge that we have, meant to be used in a godly way, but it's such a strong desire that it determines my self control. See, a lot of us can have self-control on spending. A lot of us can have self-control on a lot of things. When you have self-control in your sex life, that's pretty strong. That's the most powerful one because it's a natural urge. Okay, so that's how you tell. That's one of the easiest ways to tell if you're living a pure life. Is it the only way to tell? No, no. But it's interesting that he used the hardest one. He didn't give us the easy thing. 
He picked the hardest one, be holy. What does that mean? When you read Scripture at that time, because you have to read it in context of everything that he said, you know what that's talking about? As he's saying, he's not saying that sex is dirty. Who do you think made it up? God, right? Sex is holy. It's a holy thing. And what got made it holy is God designed it between a man and a woman in marriage. That means the sex is that way. Man, woman, in marriage. If I'm having sex with somebody outside of my marriage, I'm not being holy. I'm not being holy. You know, what if that person ends up marrying somebody else? Have I just used them or what's going on? You know, so it's a big test. It also has a lot to do with the family. You know, uh, you know, it's something sacred that it's for me and my wife and for our family. You know, we're going to have kids. You know, um, it's not for me to go mess with somebody else's wife because I felt that way. Because of what? Lack of self-discipline. Isn't that when you have an affair, like when someone commits adultery on you, isn't it a lack of self-discipline that's causing that? If I, you know, it's so important for the family that you have discipline and that type of thing. So, if I'm going to do God's will, I need to live a disciplined life. Do I have self-control? Do I have discipline in my life? And like I said, it's not just about sex. It's about everything. But in that verse, notice how he gave us the hardest one. That's the hardest one to do. Number four, God's will is that I maintain an attitude of gratitude. An atti- Whoa, that's harder to do. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, be joyful always. How are you joyful always? How can I be joyful when bad things happen? Pray continually? I think that's a little bit easier to have that mindset of praying all the time than it is to be joyful always. How about this one? Give thanks in all circumstances. Why is this? For this is God's will for you. So here again, he's specifically saying God's will is to be joyful always. Whoa. That's a tough one. How can I be joyful always? Well, I've got to believe that somehow, some way, God's using it for the good. It takes faith. Because without faith, I can't be joyful always because I'll look at the situation and there's no joy in it. Does that mean that you are never sad? No. It means in the midst of my sadness, in the midst of my pain, I still have a joy knowing that somehow, way, God's in control. Can you feel joy and sadness at the same time? You certainly can. I can be totally, my heart's broken about something. And yet at the same thing, at the same time, by faith, I have a joy knowing that somehow, some way, God's going to use it for the good, even though I can't feel it right now. How about this? Give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. You get a report back and you get, oh, I, I have cancer. You're not thankful for the circumstance. No one's going to be thankful for that. But you can still be thankful in the circumstance because you're believing by faith that God's going to God's in control. You know, yeah, I was in an accident this week, and I'm in the hospital or whatever. Uh, I'm so happy it happened. No, you're not thankful for being in an accident. You're thankful in that circumstance. This is my circumstance, and I'm choosing to be thankful in the circumstance. Somehow, some way, I'm just trusting that God's going to work it out for the good. It takes faith to be joyful always. It takes faith to be thankful in all circumstances. 
this really build, builds your faith. God wants you to learn how to live by faith. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So that's the only way that I can think of I could be joyful in a bad situation is because I believe God's working out for the good. And look at uh, verse 29, the next verse. He uses all these things to make us like his son. So God in his amazing grace, we go through something bad and he uses it to build our character. We go through something good and he uses it to, go to build our character. It's pleasure and pain, right? Pleasure and pain, they're always part of your life. God's willing to use both pleasure and pain, good things and bad things, to guide you, to shape your character, to help you to be the type of person he wants you to be. Why give thanks? Well, why be joyful? Well, according to Scripture, these problems give us an opportunity to grow. I'm not thankful for a problem, but I can be thankful that God's using it to build me up because Jesus went through tough times. I guess if I'm going to be like Christ, I'll probably have to go through tough times. We all will. Uh, the problem is an opportunity to see God's, God's power. You go through a problem and it looks like it's disastrous, and then you come through it and you think, wow, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have made it. We've gone through things like that. It's the problem that revealed to us how thankful and powerful God was. He, he worked it out. He wants to build our character. He wants us to grow, and that's why we can have an attitude of gratitude then look at number five. God's will is that I be a law-abiding citizen. It said, submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. For it is God's will that by doing good, you silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Because it's God's will. So it's God's will for me to keep the law, to be an example, you know, to not be involved in something unethical at work or some sort of corruption or that type of thing uh, to obey the laws. Is there ever time to disobey the laws? The only time that Scripture ever allows you to disobey laws is if by obeying that law, you'd be disobeying God's Word. But there certainly isn't any law that I can think of in America that forces you to do something that would be against the Word of God. There are some laws... There are some things that are legal that probably are unbiblical for sure. But I can't think of any law that's making me or you disobey God. Uh, like, you have to do this. Well, that'd be disobeying God. You know, even Jesus paid taxes when you read about the story. Uh, that he, They needed to pay taxes, so he paid taxes. So, you know, I can't think of very many laws. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I, I don't think there is anything in this country where the, the government is saying you have to do this and you know if you did that, the Bible said not to. There might be, but I can't think of any right now. So in general, we should be obeying the law. I don't think Americans have much, would have much of an argument to say, I disobeyed the law because God says don't do this in the Bible. You know, I, I don't see that happening here. Number six, God's will is that I bring others to Christ. It's God's will that I share my faith, that I tell others about what he's done for me, that I help other people know the good news. Do you know what holds us back from telling others about Christ? To let them know that their sins are forgiven, they have a purpose for living, they have a home in heaven. You know what holds us back is sometimes we have a, this idea that we have to do it a certain way. You know, like somebody 
comes in to church. And he talks about sharing your faith with people. And he wants you to go knocking on people's doors and doing something that you'd be miserable doing. And then you think, well, I just guess I'm not good at that. Well, everybody shares their faith based on your personality type, your giftedness. Some people can just go up and talk to strangers. Some people do it through friendship. They, they build a friendship and they earn the right to be heard. You know, some people aren't even that good at explaining things, but they'll invite people. They'll say, hey, come to church. Hey, I think you'll like it. But the thing is, you just have to find how you're wired. Don't do it my way. Okay? Because you've got to see, like, what type of person? What's the way that's natural and normal for me? Because if you're doing it in a way that's unnatural and not normal, they feel it. And they're going to be thinking, like, like me, I'm not the type of guy that just goes up to strangers and start talking to them about God. You know, because I just think I would feel uncomfortable. And if I feel uncomfortable, they're going to feel uncomfortable. I have to feel like that there's an, you know, an opportunity. You know, like um, they're going through something in their life. So it opens up the door, you know. So it's a natural reason to talk about it. And that works for me, and I'm comfortable with that. You've got to find out what's your way. But what you can't say is, I can't tell people about the Lord. You can. God wants you to. You just have to do it the way that's right for you, where it's normal and natural for you. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone come to repentance. The Lord's not willing. It's talking about God's will. The Lord's not willing that anyone would perish. In other words, God wants everybody God wants everybody to have a changed life. God wants everybody to know the love. You know, God, God wants everybody to feel his love, to grow from that love, and to be able to love others so that we can all do what the great uh, commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, God, God wants that from, for everybody, but you might be that only person in that person's life that can take them from where they are to getting there. And then revolutionizes their life, maybe their whole family. You know, and then they become an influence on their friends. I mean, just look around. There's a lot of problems in this world. We need that type of influence. And if we're not getting that influence out, what are we doing? Look around. We need that influence. So we just want to make sure we're the type of people that do it. But you have to do it the way that God's wired you. Now, if someone say, well, how does this verse say... The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that everyone come to repentance. That doesn't say that I have to do it. That, you know, it doesn't say, well, the reason I use this is the Bible already says things on how to do that. Because it says it's God's will that everybody gets saved. And then there's verse after verse after verse that's telling us, go throughout the whole world sharing the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. You already have all those other verses that told you how, tell you how how we're supposed to do that. So when it says the will, it's the Lord's will that no one would perish, and it already tells you that we're the supposed to be the ones that get the word out, it goes hand in hand together. It's my responsibility to find ways that I can let people know that God loves them and has a great plan for their life and uh, that God wants to do big things for them. God's will, number seven, God's will is that I commit myself to God and other believers. 
Because in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's where it started. And then to us, meaning that was the believers, and then to us in keeping with God's will. Which means to keep with God's will, they gave their life to the Lord and to one another. To a church. To a church. There's a couple of times in the Bible that when it uses where church is talking about the universal church, meaning the, everybody in the whole world that's a believer. A couple of times. But all those other verses, when it talks about a church, it's talking about a specific church. The church in Corinth. That's talking about a specific church in that city. The church in Ephesus. You read like 95% of the times it mentions the word church, it's a local body. It's not talking about all the believers. It's talking about a specific location. And that's what these verses are talking about. It's a specific location where you commit it, which says there's no lone ranger Christians. I need people in my life that I encourage and they encourage me spiritually. I inspire them and they inspire me spiritually. I pray for them and they pray for me. I lift them up when they're down. They lift me up when they're down. They can point out a blind spot to me. I can point out a blind spot to them. Okay? All the one another's in the Bible. Encourage one another. You know, to do all those things, because there's a list of love one another, encourage one another, it goes on and on and on. How can you do those things unless there's another? <laughs> you have to have another to do those things. So, and those are talking about the body of Christ, meaning the local church. So, it's part of God's will that I have a local fellowship, people that I'm involved in that are praying for me, I'm praying for them, that we're supporting each other. We're a team. There's no doubt about it that culture sometimes does the opposite of God. Circumstances can contradict God's will. Bad advice from people. We know that the one resource that's clear that's going to lead you to God and His will is God's Word. And we know when we do what's revealed in Scripture already, and we pursue that, God, God's going to reveal those other things to us as well. So it starts with the things that I already know. So I want you to ask yourself, have you made that commitment to Christ? My faith's in you. Then have you said, okay, God, I want you to control my life. I want you to direct me. I want you to be the manager. I want you to be the guide. Then are you living a lifestyle with discipline, self-control? Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Are you someone that's trying to, you're trying to obey the laws of the land? Are you someone that's trying to find out how you can best in doing it, living a life to draw and be a light and be a living life to draw people to God? And are you committed to a group of believers? Those are the thing, those are seven verses in the Bible that are just clear cut. This is God's will. If we were just to, even without all the other scriptures, if we were just to do those seven that are clearly saying this is God's will, then I think you're going to see God reveal other things to you. But I think it starts with, let me do the obvious where there's no way I can miss it. It flat out says, this is God's will. Let me do that. And I think God's going to reveal to you the other things that you need to know down the road. But if I ignore the obvious, do you think he's going to tell me more? I just don't think he's going to. He's going to say, start with what I've already said. Start there. With that, let's pray. Dear Father, I know that you're not playing games with us. You want us to know your will. I don't think you have joy in hiding it from us. And Lord, we desire to know your will. 
But Lord, I, I know that you expect us to obey what you've already showed us. So we're praying today, making a commitment that as far as we know how, we want to follow you and your word and the things you've told us to do. And then continue as you reveal more to us, continue to follow you so that we're doing your will for our life. Everybody here has great purpose. You have everybody here for a reason, not just in this church, but in this world for a reason. And Lord, we're offering our lives to you. We want to know your will. We want to obey. We want to live for you the way that you want us to. It's in Jesus' name that we make this commitment. Amen.